the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free. There are laws that are rules that we do well to follow. And there are laws that are embedded in creation itself. And so it was. The spirit breath of God hovered over the dark chaos and brought forth life. And in doing so, he set boundaries for the waters and for all things. And the boundaries were perfectly secure. And there were two one-way gates at the beginning and at the end. He named the first gate birth and the last gate death. Spirit created human beings in the image of Yahweh. And as they awoke, they discovered they could turn freely to look backward and forward to see both past and future. Doing so, they discovered that their memory was bounded by a fog that increased as they looked toward the gate named birth, and that they, when they turned to see ahead, they could form mental images with great accuracy until that accuracy disappeared into a fog and darkness long before they saw the outward opening gate ahead. And there were boundaries to the right and to the left. The right, a high wall of inherited genetics, and to the left, a wall of imperfect upbringing. Under their feet was an unstoppable conveyor belt, a river named Time. And those who dared to ponder what might be beyond these gates and walls found themselves floundering in saccharine sentimentality or stark terror. Most of us cram our lives with busyness and distract ourselves with touchscreens, our shopping, our sugar binges, and other substances rather than open ourselves to a bad case of claustrophobia before which we feel totally helpless. Today is the day of Pentecost. Fifty days after the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah promised his followers that he would send the paraclete, paracletos, the sent one who comes to help, the advocate, the helper. And like us, his followers wondered what was beyond the gates and the boundaries. Was there a limitless space for them beyond the gates of birth and death, nature and nurture, and beyond the limits of their time-bound existence? Didn't they see Jesus ascend into the clouds? Didn't Jesus talk about this space when he said such things as this? is eternal life, to know the Father. But how could they get there? He said, wait. And so they waited. They had watched him disappear into the clouds and then remained lost in thought, lost in longing, wondering why he had to leave them at all, 
Luke tells us that angels had to nudge them back to reality, the reality of their situation with the promise that Jesus would return in the same way that he went. In Matthew's account, we find out that those who gathered on the mountain were just like us. He writes, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus, 11, remaining disciples, obeyed. They walked the four days to Jerusalem, and they found their way to the upper room, likely the same room in which they had celebrated the Seder Supper with Jesus 48 days earlier. Luke writes that they, with one accord, devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so the wait continued. They remembered that he said it would be a few days. And they wondered how long was a few days. And they passed the time voting in a replacement for Judas. And that too involved prayer. Still they waited until a whole week went by. They must have wondered if they should be doing something else. Were they doing it wrong? Were they praying badly? But they did what Jesus asked them to. In obedience, they waited and prayed for the Holy Spirit. Perhaps they remembered his teaching on persevering in prayer, his wonderful story comparing God to a grumpy, unjust judge. He must have been smiling as he used that analogy, but it made the point. Don't give up. And they remembered, he said, ask, seek, knock. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. Perhaps more than anything else, Jesus had modeled this prayer for them. They realized that his, this relationship he had with the Father involved listening to him and getting to know deep in his heart who the Father was. They remembered, he said, go into your closet and shut the door. They had seen Jesus turn and disappear into the wilderness many times where he could meet the Father in secret. He did as he taught. The wait went on, and all creation waited with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. And those from Galilee sought out relatives and friends in Jerusalem with whom to spend the night, and at the break of day they were together once again. They prayed together, and they prayed alone. They asked, they sought, they knocked at the door of heaven, saying, Dear Father, we are in shock. We are helpless. We are lost without Jesus. Have mercy on us. We relied on the comfort of Jesus' presence and the authority and sweetness of his words, and now we don't know what to do without him. Revealing, please send us the Spirit as Jesus promised. In the beginning, the Spirit had created time with its boundaries and the one-way gate through which all mortals would pass into eternity. In waiting, we become conscious of the insurmountable, insurmountable flow of the river upon which we ride.
We chafe against our boundaries by imagining unattainable, an unattainable future or a past that is all roses and sunshine. In such imaginings, we reject the reality of the present moment, but waiting in silence and still acceptance, the present moment can unfold, revealing that the only reality has a capital R. The river flowed, and when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is great joy. And when the Spirit of the Lord is present in us, we surprise ourselves by saying wise and loving things. So it was when the crowd gathered to find out what all the ruckus was about. And Peter began to explain, and his words were simple and straightforward and mysteriously filled with power that moved hearts. You think we are drunk, he said, but it's too early in the morning for that. God has done something amazing to us. And the crowds listened to Peter's story of salvation. Then, saying yes to God, they were indeed saved. And their joy, in their joy, the boundaries seemed for a while to dissipate. Jesus taught that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. The Spirit will give you words, he had promised. Don't worry about what you will say. What you, will, what you say will come from a once stony heart softened by the water and oil of the Spirit to become a heart of flesh. You will have a heart of compassion and kindness, a new heart recreated in the Spirit, like the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost, words from a heart full of love are understood by men and women in every language. And so it was that on the day of the first Pentecost, the temple of Jerusalem moved from the massive structure of stone that was the pride and joy of the whole nation to the humble and secure upper room where a where a few poor folks with no ecclesiastical or political titles or authority had gathered, bypassing the best efforts and great wealth of the empire, the Spirit of God, without hands, made a temple of the followers of Jesus. The tongues of fire that appeared above each head showed that this presence of the Spirit was for each individual. And the fact that the Spirit came while they were all together affirmed that the new temple was, it was every gathering of two or three believers in Jesus. One of these believers wrote to the followers of Jesus in Corinth saying, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. <laughs> And later he wrote, we are the temple of the living God. 
like those Jesus followers in the upper room, when we wait for the Spirit of God individually or corporately, the Spirit will come to us and like them, the first sign by which we will know that which by which we will know it will be the a joyful praise. And as Jesus promised, we will know something of reality. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Paul also assures us in his letter to the Romans that the hope that comes from trusting Christ does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This shame he speaks of as being the antithesis of God's love and is defined by brain researcher and psychiatrist Kurt Thompson as a feeling of not being enough. A friend of mine told me recently that his father, who was not a harsh man, was not able to say anything positive to him while he was a child, nor was he able to touch him affectionately. Now, this friend, in his 60s, with a doctorate degree and a long list of life successes, continues to struggle with the constant feeling of falling short, not doing or being enough. He is a believer and has served for years as a missionary. But he went on to tell me that when he thinks of God's love for him, he thinks himself far from God. And at the end of a long line of the millions of people that God loves. This is what shame feels like. And this is why the Holy Spirit was sent to pour out his love, the love of God, in our inner being. Of course, when my friend dies and goes to heaven, he will find out exactly where he is in the lineup of those God loves. He will discover that eternity has no boundaries or lineups. But the love of the Father for his Son is infinitely generous and entirely without partiality. Knowing this theological truth, however, does not change the present shame that my friend suffers from. Only feeling that reality, like old faithful gushing up in his inner man, can erase the habitual sensation he has lived with for the last 60 years. In waiting quietly, the spirit of truth comes as Jesus promised, to guide us into all truth, which is love itself. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. You have received the spirit of adoption by whom you, you, by whom you cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit reminds us as we listen that we are the children of God, And so the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we do not know how we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words.
The Spirit intercedes for us just as God wills. Perhaps we could learn to pray like this, waiting without words. I believe there is a prayer we could call kenosis, in which we empty ourselves like Jesus did in his passion. We become like sheep who before their shears are dumb. Joining Jesus on the Via Dolorosa, we become passive in the face of the world's injustice and the injustice of all religious and civil authorities. We throw ourselves on the mercy of God and give up our false sense of control. We distance ourselves from our own thoughts, all our defenses, all our rationalizations, all our heroism, and the imagined place of superiority that our own ego takes us to. Only too soon will that same ego command us to jump and fall to our death on the pavement below the temple's peak, and we will despise the very person we have been commanded to love ourselves. But there is a place of silence, solitude, stillness, where sitting with the Father in secret, we let our great thoughts go and we turn toward the Holy of Holies. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So glorify God in your body. Looking in within, we say, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! Uh, my soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And because we trust in God more than our works and our words of seeming righteousness, we fall silent on his mercy and let him save us from our shame. We join Jesus in the passivity of his passion and empty ourselves and become fully receptive to the word beyond our ability to understand. And we enter into a Sabbath rest, doing and saying nothing We bask in his poured out love. This is the purest prayer. What is this prayer like? Let me read you two paragraphs from Thomas Kelly's little book, A Testament of Devotion. I begin as he describes the simplicity that comes from holy obedience. He says, I have in mind something deeper than the simplification of our external programs, our absurdly crowded calendars of appointments through which so many pantingly and frantically gasp. These do become simplified in holy obedience, and the poise and peace we have been missing can really be found. But there is a deeper and internal simplification of the whole of one's personality, stilled, tranquil, in childlike trust, listening ever to eternity's whisper and walking with a smile into the dark. This amazing simplification comes when we center down, when life is lived with singleness of eye, from a holy center, 
where the breath and stillness of eternity are heavy upon us and we are wholly yielded to him. Some of you know this holy recreating center of eternal peace and joy and live in it day and night. Some of you may see it over the margin and wistfully long to slip into that amazing center where the soul is at home with God. Be very faithful to that wistful longing. It is the eternal goodness calling you to return home, to feed on green pastures, and walk beside still waters, and live in the peace of the shepherd's presence. There are boundaries and gates, birth and death. There are walls of nature and nurture beyond which our rational minds cannot take us. Our free will offers only a narrow band of choices of which only one is significant, the choice to turn toward God. So we say yes to the divinity of the present moment, then being led by the Spirit, we understand that we are the children of God. We cry, Abba, and the Spirit makes our prayer easy by praying for us and in us with groans that we could never put into words. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit that he has given us, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. 